Well, the summer's coming down to an end here. It's very evident that the uh, that we're starting to come together a little bit more the past few Sundays. It's like we totally honor the time for self-care and making sure you get your vacation times, but you've been missed, those of you that have not been in attendance here. So thank you for being here this morning. We just appreciate you. Um, we have a couple of announcements this morning that I want to share with you. And then actual Mr. Bush, Joshua, if you wouldn't mind sharing about campus and what's going on over there in just a moment, I'll invite you up, all right? Um, again, we just have a few announcements. Um, just a reminder that we always have the nursery available over there in the mornings for preschool. Um, and we also have uh, Sunday school, things like that, but it's preschool for fourth grade kids during the service. And there's, a, again, just a reminder, no Sunday classes for five through seven until September five through seven as well. Um, we're looking forward to more nursery helpers too. If you could help out and you feel like you have the time and the energy to do so, please contact Bobby Joe at 218-368-3514. Don't forget about Touchpoint with Pastor Steve and Joyce at 9 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. This Wednesday, the 23rd, Vacation from Fear. Check out the archives as well. 6 p.m., we do usually have a youth group on Wednesday nights, but we are out of session until what time, Zach, Abby? What time? What date? September what? Thank you. Youth group this Wednesday and then off until October 24th. Thank you. We just want to make sure that we have time for the kids to acclimate the school getting started. Um, that's what we have in the emailed announcements that's been out and also on social media too. Uh, just to also remind additional announcements, Susan Pender, our GLOW missionary to Alaska in June, has some transformation trip reports and thank you letters at the welcome desk. Feel free to check them out and take a copy for yourself. Uh, the BSU campus, this is where I want to invite Joshua to come on up, man. He's got something special to share about August 21st and 25th. We're excited. Hello, everyone. So, so as you may know, I'm Joshua, and I am involved with various college ministries. And so this is actually starting tomorrow um, Monday, um, and it's gonna go all the way until Friday. So it's a little bit different. We did a 50-hour worship last time. It's a little bit different than that. Um, uh, what we're targeting is uh, the college campus, and usually what we do every year is we have at least one night where, where we just get immersed in the presence of the Lord, um, and then uh, we have this thing called Kings, it's every week after that. But what ends up happening is sometimes like um, people get caught up, the college students get caught up in their day to day at the college and then they kind of just fall away. And so what we're trying to do is hit it really hard on um, this first week, it's the first week of school. And so we're gonna be immersing them in the presence every single night from 7 p.m. to probably 10 or 11. And then we're gonna do a gospel message um, every night, just bringing salvation um, to this BSU campus. And we're inviting all churches, everyone to come and be a part, worship with us, and even to be there to be able to pray for the um, uh, BSU students that may come and, the, and everybody that's there and also just gathering in corporate worship and just um, being together. So if you can't make it Monday, then you got the rest of the week to, to try to make it down. So, so try, to, try to come out one of the nights. We're hoping to keep building it up and keep promoting it, and if you have any more questions, please get a hold of me, or if you want that um, flyer, um, I have it, or we'll see if they can send it to some of you. I can send it to you, but, but yeah, we're just hoping to start a revival on BSU campus, and hoping that it spreads throughout this region. It's gonna be good. If you could, could we pray for this movement this week? Could you just bow our heads and let's pray over Joshua, Devin, and the whole program, the whole crew. Father God, first of all, I want to thank you for the gift of this young man, Joshua Bush. He's a tremendous influence. He's a tremendous influence on my children, my children at school, both here and there. 
Father, you just is a precious young man. He's got such a heart for you, Father. We just appreciate him. But we ask that you continue to bless his ministry this week. The ministry that's going on at BSU, at the prayer house, Devin Barrett. We just ask that your blood is shed over all of these people and just we plead that over them, Father, so that they are protected, 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 Father, but that they are impactful for you, Father. That your word comes out, the gospel is shared, and people receive it by the hundreds, Father. Anyway, we can ask for that, Father. We ask that hundreds of people come to you. Hundreds, thousands, thousands, Father, that, that people come to you in droves, Father, and learn who you are through the example of young men like Jason, Devin, and, and the young women and, and men that are serving this week, Father. We just pray for their guidance and, again, their protection. Your wonderful, amazing name. Amen. Thank you, Jason. One more thing I don't think I mentioned, but it says on there too, but it's right next to the House of Prayer, which is honestly a perfect location because it's on campus, off campus kind of thing because it's right by the um, rec center. So come on down, please, if you can. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, and that actually kind of leads into this week's scripture that I want to share with you this morning. Would you go to John 13 with me, verses 1? Fairly self-explanatory, so I'm going to leave my own narrative out of it as much as I can um, and let Jesus talk. It's a parable that I'd love being reminded of this. It's a parable of the washing of the feet. Um, not even a parable, it's the story of Jesus washing others' feet. Again, verse 1, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So many of people that read through this, I've seen it over and over again, omit that first section. Talking about Jesus' thought process, talking about his remembering that his Father is in control of all things, and listening to his direction. Moving on, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered that unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So he's trying to get it in their brain, that precursor, that what is Jesus about to do here? <clears throat> then Lord... Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was, going, that, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We've been sent. We've been sent to do our very best to follow Jesus and follow what Jesus has done, to be an example, to lead a life that we can do our very best to model Jesus' behavior and what he desires for us. But when we sit down and we start thinking about ways we can serve, serve each other, both in the church and out of the church, we look at examples like Joshua and the whole team at BSU moving towards servitude, right, and getting in front of groups that may not want to listen, some of them, and some of them really want to listen, some of them are hungry for it, but we listen to God and we listen to Jesus say, we need to wash feet, we need to wash feet, right? The symbolism there, the cleansing, the, 
there's so much in, in there. I encourage you to do a deep dive into that scripture on the levels that you can go through to find all the examples of what God and Jesus desire for our lives. I'm not gonna do that now because you literally could spend days on this scripture, days, because it could peel back onion layers and onion layers. But if you get something out of this today, think about servitude, think about God, Jesus himself coming down to our level to let us know that we are special, that we are special, but that you know what, we're not clean and we need to be cleaned. So this morning, as you think about servitude, as you think about giving, use your gifts this morning to do the right thing on whatever you think it's going to be today. Whether that's giving, whether that's you know being a friend to somebody, giving them a hug, high five, or hello, whatever that might be today, let's think about this morning and what God has placed you or where God has placed you in today. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you for the, again this morning. And there's a couple things on my heart this morning I wanna share. One, at this moment, and I'm just being prompted to tell, say this, but there's definitely a spirit or, or a spirit of distraction today in this service. I know it is in my heart. Very easily distracted myself, want to wander. But it's amazing the commitment that we see in Jesus from stem to stern, from beginning to end. There wasn't a distraction. Never was, Father. So we pray against anything could be distracting us this morning from hearing you, from hearing your message, from hearing what you want us to do and how we're going to serve, Father. We pray against anything that's getting in the way, Father. But this morning, we pray over this morning's offering that it might be used to further your will, your way, and your word, and that the gospel is spread as efficiently, as effectively as possible. Thank you for your strength, your power, and your honor, and your glory, Father. Most importantly, thank you for your grace and your amazing name. Amen. Revelation would be received by each person today. In Jesus' name. So, last week we actually spoke on Isaiah 61, and we're going to continue to dig a little deeper into that. Um, and so we did read through the whole chapter, and then some last week, um, and I think we might do that again because, you know, you can never read through scripture too many times. Um, and last time I had told you to kind of pay attention to garden imagery and clothing imagery, and we talked about some of that last week. But I'd also like you to pay attention to, like, wedding or bride and groom um, references. So... I think Peter's going to read through, and hopefully, do we have it up this week? I know um, we didn't have it up fully last week. Otherwise, you can follow maybe along. Not. Isaiah 61. <laughs> yeah, if you have your Bibles, I suppose you could follow along. There we go. All right. So the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of all the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild their old ruins. They shall raise up their former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities. And the desolations of so many generations, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord, 
They shall call you the servants of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among all peoples and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of his salvation, and he has covered me with a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the Lord brings forth its bud, as the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, last week, just to briefly recap what we were sort of talking about, we were talking about that, that wonderful, all those wonderful images of, of gardens and, and trees and growth that are um, sprinkled all throughout that picture, right? And our main idea was, was this, is that um, as people... Um, we, sometimes we can feel like that, that barren ground, <laughs> the, that desolate place, right? That, that, uh, that desert that's maybe been the, like that for as long as we can remember. And there's often a lack of hope, isn't there? There's a sense that nothing can grow here, right? Um, but there's a declaration here that, that God is a good gardener. <laughs> he is one who is patient and he is willing to put in the work to see something grow. He knows how to make it grow. And it's something that is actually natural for us to do. Whether we, we know it or not, we're, we're good soil. <laughs> we, we are the place that God has chosen to grow the things of himself. The way he wants to uh, exhibit his goodness in this world. He doesn't plant it in the... Um, you know, the great wonders of the world. You know, we think of all the beautiful things that God has made, but the way he wants to say, um, this is what I want to, sh how I want to show how good I am. He, he's, he picks us. <laughs> he points at us and he says, that's the way I want to show it. Um, and so there's a hope in that. There's a, there's a wonder in that, right? Um, knowing that we have a patient, good gardener God who wants to make us into good gardens. Um, but today, uh, what we want to maybe push that thought a little further into um, is this idea that we're not just gardens ourselves, are we? <laughs> um, just by ourselves, all alone. Um, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. We're, we're here, we're working with God, we're growing, life is springing forth in us. But that's not all that life is about, is it? Just, just us and our life and the way what's happening to us, because there's there's others, isn't there? There's, there's a moreness to life when we're connected all together. There's a, there's a bigger garden going on in our world. Um, and so what I was thinking about is in the original garden story. It seems like when you talk about garden imagery, you always have to go back to that, that Genesis story at the beginning. Um, and in the beginning, we see in Genesis 2... Um, we see God doing that very thing. He's planting a garden. It, it, say, it says he literally plants it with his own hands. He, he takes careful um, choice of picking all the wonderful trees and beautiful things and causing them to grow. And then what he says he does, though, is he doesn't just stick around in that garden like he's a good gardener. This is my garden. That's it. He says, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> I'm going to create um, an image of myself, he says. He creates a man and a woman. He creates humanity, and he says, this is what I'm like. This is my image. This is my reflection in the world. When I want to show the, what, the, what I'm like in the world, it's not the garden itself. The garden is beautiful. It's something I created. That's not what I'm like. I'm like this thing called humanity that I've made to be in the garden. And what he tells them to do is to be gardeners. <laughs> Just as he was a good gardener who caused things to grow, he places them in that place of life and growth to maintain it, to see that it is uh, grow, growing and beautifying. But it's more than that. He says that they're going to be fruitful 
but they're also going to multiply. And so there's this idea that the garden isn't just going to stay the way it is. It's going to grow. It's going to multiply. It's going to expand beyond the bounds of where it was before. Um, and so I think we, we see that here, don't we, in Isaiah 61, that expansion, that idea of the goodness of his life going out from us beyond, right, into our world, into the people around us, right? Um, and one way I think we, we see that happening, um, uh, there's so many good things in here, uh, so many great images of, of things um, going out, I think. Um, and one way we, we were looking at that today, uh, we want to look at that today, is this idea of being clothed. <laughs> um, what is being put on us? Um, because that is this, this outward external thing, right? Um, it, it could easily say that the Spirit of the Lord God is, is in me. It's something that's internal and just sort of kind of uh, captured inside of us. But it's something that it talks about is the Spirit of God is upon us. It's something that is laid on us. And there's so many images of, of things going on. There's oil, right, being poured on us. There's, there's, there's wraps and clothing being put upon us. Uh, and one of my favorites uh, is this, and maybe it, it doesn't, we, we sang it this morning, actually, uh, which I kind of thought was fun, is this little phrase. I, I talked about it a little bit last week, is this phrase, beauty for ashes. And I think it's just such a, a pivotal phrase within this whole concept of, of Isaiah 61. Um, and beauty for ashes, it... it I mentioned it, I think, last week. I talked about how there's this poetic device that's sort of, uh, you only see if you're, like, really into nerdy Hebrew stuff, <laughs> uh, that it's uh, the word beauty here and the word ashes here are actually created out of the same three letters. It's pe'er uh, for beauty and efer for ashes. And so you would see that there's a, there's a type of poetry there. And what I mentioned last week is I think part of the purpose there is to see uh, there's a link between these two images um, that it takes such a little effort. God only has, there's, God, it's only a moment away where God can change things from the worst state to the most beautiful, great state. Um, but I want to continue with that, uh, this thought. Beauty for ashes, uh, there, there's more to this image. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in the Bible, ashes isn't, is, uh, isn't just uh, an image of uh, like we think of ashes maybe in a, in a fireplace, right? Uh, you burn down the logs, there's ashes at the end, right? Um, but in uh, biblical times, ashes is always a picture of great despondency. It's great darkness. Um, there's a, a moment in, I think it's Ezekiel 27, where there's this picture of this great, beautiful city, and, it's going, and there's a, a prophecy about how it's going to come to its ruin, and it's going to be in the sea, and all the people are going to be pouring ashes on their heads. <laughs> uh, it's always a picture of, of great destruction, depravity, um, mourning. It's, it's the worst state, and it, that makes sense, right? Because if you think of ashes as just um, the nothingness at the end, right? When everything is burned away and there's nothing left, it's just ashes and dust. It's worthless. It's dark. It's awful. Um, and so that's the picture, is, is ashes being poured on a person, I think is supposed to be the image, is ashes on someone's head. Um, and I say that because this word beauty isn't just your, your average word for beauty. Um, there are several words for beauty in the Bible. Um, the, the author could have picked probably out of, from several, but he picked this one specifically, I know, uh, because this word for beauty uh, is an agricultural word for beauty. It's... Uh, I don't have time to get into it, maybe, but the word is involved with this idea of, uh, of olive branches. Uh, it's related to actually a word where um, people would go out during harvest time and they would shake the olive trees and then all the best olives at the top would all fall down to the ground. <laughs> and so it has this idea of the, the wealth at the top. Is, so to speak, I guess you could say, the, the best fruit at the top of the tree that you, you want to shake and get down and, and, and harvest, right? It's, it's fruitfulness. It's a beautiful image. And this particular version of the word, um, you might even see in your Bible, uh, depending on what version you have, it might use the word garland or crown or diadem or something like that. Um, it's this idea of taking those olive branches, which are always a symbol of life, a symbol of abundance, a symbol of of preciousness, of value, of goodness, 
of gardens, perhaps you could say. You know, you can think of all of trees and branches as a beautiful garden space, and taking those things, weaving them into something, a beautiful crown of sorts, and then placing it on someone's head. So the, this little phrase, beauty for ashes, maybe it's, it's something we throw around. It's sort of a vague idea. But I think if you dig a little deeper, it's actually a more uh, significant image of a person standing before you, and they're covered in the dirtiness and the grossness of life. They're, um, it's something they've placed upon themselves, most likely. Often in the Bible, people place ashes on themselves um, to represent how they're in the darkest despair, the worst place. And someone comes along and brushes that aside and then places instead a crown of life and goodness. And so that's something, uh, it's just, it's all over in here, this, these images of uh, identifying ourselves with this, something being placed upon us. There's something being, uh, we're wearing something on our external. There's something we're, we're taking with us and, and going out with, right? That's so good. Yes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And when we read this, we oftentimes think about how Jesus declared this over himself and that he is the Messiah, setting captives free, binding up the brokenhearted, restoring, bringing that beauty for ashes. But what it ends up talking about here is it shifts. It says, this is what the Lord is doing. But then it says, this is what's happening to the people that he is restoring, to the people that he is um, bringing that beauty for ashes to. And then it shifts. So then it becomes, like Peter was saying, we become the gardeners in partnership with God. And so I believe that when we are in intimate relationship with the Lord, as we receive that, we're able to declare this over ourselves. We're able to say, the spirit of the Lord is on me to help set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to restore, to rebuild. That's what he's called us to do. And as Peter said, this is something that... Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was declaring this and he began, he was the forerunner to begin the foundation for those things. But essentially, he, he wants us in partnership with him to fulfill and carry out Isaiah 61, to bring that restoration, to rebuild, to bring life, to crown people with beauty. And don't get me wrong, like we aren't Jesus, we aren't the Messiah or the anointed one, but his anointing is what smears all over us. <laughs> and so then we're able to wear his anointing, we're able to wear his glory, his beauty. And so I talked a little bit last week about wearing and what we're choosing to wear. And sometimes we can choose to wear shame or fear or put ashes on ourselves. But the Lord is the one that replaces that. And when we recognize that even if we have intimate relationship with him, if we're letting other things rest on us, that's what people are seeing. That's what people are experiencing. Um, because the Holy Spirit is within us always whenever we have an intimate relationship with him. But whether or not he rests on us, I believe, is in direct correlation to what we're allowing to rest on us, what we're putting on, what we're spending time in, if we're spending time in his presence. Um, just kind of an example of this, I remember Bill Johnson saying that he... Um, every time he would go into this specific grocery store, he would take a moment and just say, Lord, I just, I just soak in your presence. I just ask that you rest on me, that your anointing would rest on me, and that people would experience your presence in this store. And he'd go about his day. He'd get groceries. He didn't do anything extravagant, or, or he didn't really even 
pray over people a whole lot or do different things unless um, the Lord prompted him to. Um, but every time he went in, he just made sure to spend that 30 seconds walking in the door, being aware of his presence. And um, sometime later, the owner of that store, like he had been in connection with him just because he came into a store all the time. And he said, something changes when you walk in here. I don't know what it is, but the days that you come in here, we our business is through the roof. <laughs> like people like are in a different mood. Like it's like an atmosphere that like it changes. And and the owner was like, it took me a while to figure out what was happening. But then I saw the correlation was every time there'd be a change in our store, it'd be a day you'd come in and buy groceries. <laughs> and so that's that's just an example of, like, he didn't do anything that different. He still just got his groceries. But being aware of the presence of God, being able to spend that moment connecting to the Lord was what helped the Holy Spirit to just rest upon him. Um, so when we think even just looking through the scripture again, um, when we think about clothing and gardens, what do you think about? I think about weddings. <laughs> and at weddings, there's oftentimes um, you dress differently. There's flowers. There's beautiful kind of garden life um, images and people you might have bouquets. Some people do wear like little flower crowns. And, and so when we were talking about this and thinking about it more, um, we were recognizing really what's happening here is the Lord is bringing kind of those, those pieces together, that, that clothing and the, the gardening into this place of marriage, partnership. And that that's his desire. We are the bride of Christ. And so that's, and then he, he ends it, ends Isaiah. So it's um, Isaiah 61.10 where it switches, where then um, we as a people are saying, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteous, his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." So right there, it's kind of closing all these ideas of the Lord restoring, the Lord making us gardeners ourselves, the Lord clothing us, us um, choosing to be, to allow that clothing to rest on us. And it all comes kind of to a head in the end where it says, like a wedding, like a bride and a groom who are so excited, so anticipating this marriage, the Lord will make the, the seed sprout out. The Lord will be the one to bring righteousness forth. But it's going to be through partnership, through connection. So I just want to kind of bring you guys into... Um, just a little bit of imagination of thinking, I don't know if you've all been to a wedding or had a wedding yourself, um, but there's just a diff few different things we were just thinking about when we think about weddings or even our wedding. Um, when, uh, at least for me, when I was getting ready for the wedding, it, that, that was one of the funnest things. I mean, the whole day was wonderful, but it's such a joyous thing. You're with friends. You're, um, you're just excited. You're anticipating. You're just so maybe a little bit nervous, 
but you're so excited, and it's this joyous thing getting ready. And you know, you know that no matter what, no matter how you look or how your makeup or hair dresses, that your groom is is going to just be enamored by you. And so that is just something that just stirs up so much joy in your heart. And I think sometimes when we think of getting ready for Christ or as the bride of Christ, we sometimes, at least I have put kind of a negative connotation in my mind of like this like grueling hard work, this toiling, this um, like all these things, these burdens that I have to carry or that I have to just make sure that I'm perfect or make sure that I'm at the certain standard. But really, this idea of getting ready for the for Christ is joyous. It's exciting. It's full of anticipation. Um, and so then kind of moving forward in the wedding analogy, like when you as a bride, stand uh, and start to walk down the aisle, you, for me, when I'm at a wedding, I like to look at the groom's expression. I don't know about you guys, but I like to see his, even if it wasn't the first look, the first time he saw her, something about that image of the bride just coming to the groom. And I just want us to understand and realize that when, when we talk about the bride being presented as holy and blameless and presentable, this isn't a, at least I think it's not um, an instruction of, okay, we need to in ourselves try to become holy and blameless and presentable because that's impossible for the body of Christ to do without the cleansing, like Josh was talking about, without the cleansing of the purity of Jesus. And so we can't present ourselves as holy and blameless without the gaze of our groom, without that, that love that just, that just sears deeper into our hearts than anything that we could be or not be. And so as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ is being presented as holy and blameless, we're being presented as holy and blameless because he makes us holy and blameless. He's the one that restored us. He's the one that rebuilt our hearts, that set us free. So as we come to him, that gaze he has towards us is not one of anger, is not one of... um, like, oh, I don't really like that dress. I, that, like, oh, look at her hair. I can't believe it. Like, it's this one of, wow, that is my bride. And if we could know that deep in our hearts as a body of Christ, that's how Jesus sees us. That's how he gazes at us and looks at us is that, that look that the groom has towards her bride on the wedding day, then I think we would understand what the marriage, what the partnership, what life can come out of that relationship that from there we can help to bring restoration. We can help to create gardens um, and, yeah, be those gardeners. Yeah, amen, honey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just thinking about our wedding day, I guess. And I was, I think I was standing, was I standing right about here, hon? Yeah, because we got married here. Uh, and you would have, you would have been right back there. And this was what, over eight years ago now? May, May 23rd? <laughs> yeah, but I was, remember I was standing right here and, and like Naya's saying, I was, I was just trying to, I was just trying to put myself in my own mindset that day. What was I thinking about as a groom? And what I definitely wasn't thinking about is, well, she better prove to me 
how much she loves me by walking down that aisle. That's what today's about. Today's about her proving to me that she's going to be a good wife someday. It's about proving to me that she's beautiful enough to um, be allowed to be my wife, right? Um, yeah, like I, I could have, I could have picked a lot of women, right? And I'm, so you better, you better show up today and improve it, right? That that's how we're going to do this thing, right? No, that that wasn't what the day was about at all. Uh, what the day was about, it was celebrating and and being in just utter wonder of what was already there, which was the love between us, and being excited about what was more to come. Um, in our in our vows to each other, that was. I think the biggest theme, uh, I think even in, I, I think a phrase I used in my vows was I said, this will not be the greatest day of our lives, right? Because we were expecting that what we were celebrating was a life of love. What we were celebrating was the growth and the moreness of love. And, uh, and we've seen that. Um, we have, she's sleeping now, but we are love in our life has created moreness. There's more life in our life now with our little Vela, right? Uh, and I think that's a beautiful picture of what marriage, uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, I think how we, as our, our kind of day-to-day -day lives, exemplify what we do with God. Um, yeah, and I think this is such a beautiful picture. And I think one of the reasons um, we combine this idea of marriage and uh, in gardens here, and maybe just kind of finishing with this thought, um, is because of how natural that is. I, I love how it finishes here. Um, it, talking about how we're just praising the Lord, and it says, just as uh, a bride or a groom is clothing themselves and readying themselves for that beautiful day, um, so too, just like a garden, it just comes up. It's, there's something miraculous, right? Um, I, we were, I was talking to Nea about this, how, um, actually, I, I guess I, I was seeing it in an article the other day, um, that they found seeds, ancient seeds, uh, that have been lie that have been kept in a jar or something in, in some ancient society for you know a thousand years or whatever, and they took those seeds and you're able to plant them, and you water them and and something starts growing, <laughs> uh, and that seems impossible, right? Something that's been dead for a thousand years shouldn't be able to grow, but there's something natural in our world that when we care for something, when we come in a mode of celebration and an expectancy of life and growth and goodness. It just happens. <laughs> There's nothing that we have, you, you don't do anything, right? You, you're not the one who makes the plant grow and, and come to life. It's something that it happens, and that's, um, that's how it's pictured here. Uh, but it has to be in that place, right? It has to be that place of expectancy of life. If you take that seed and you put it back in the jar and you seal it up for another thousand years, you're not, nothing's going to grow, right? But if you take it and you say, I think something's going to grow, I'm going to put it in ground, I'm going to see that it's watered, um, and we're going to say, yes, life is going to happen. It'll happen. Um, it's the same at the, on that wedding day. There's just an expectancy. There's a, a, a knowledge that naturally love is already here. It's the day, wedding days are, are, should be at least. I don't know if everybody's felt this way, but I felt for us, it felt easy and it felt natural. It felt right. It felt like a, a wonderful, everything just felt like it flowed out from what we were, our, our very being, right? There's, it's hard to almost explain that, but... Um, so when we're thinking about the, you know, some of these phrases that we're going to be uh, going to have the righteousness of the Lord upon us, that can seem like a really, uh, maybe just that word itself, righteousness, can seem really um, big and, and thunderous, but it's, it's as natural as, as, a, as a husband and a wife coming together for the first time. It's as natural as plants growing up out of the ground and springing forth. It's, it's what we were made to do, it's what we we're made to do. Yes, I was just going to add to that. Some of you may think like, okay, so the wedding day was beautiful. The wedding day was wonderful. But marriage can be difficult. And some of you maybe have experienced brokenness in marriage or um, even ending of marriages. And so sometimes when you think of weddings, it can actually be a little bit more of a painful thing for you. Or maybe you are married and you've had some ups and downs. Um, but I think what's so beautiful about this idea that the Lord is giving us with marriage and partnership with him is he often does use um, 
language saying bride or groom or wedding feast. And so with that, we get the opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord where it's like it's the wedding day every day. (laughs) And that's not to say that things aren't hard or difficult. Um, Gardening can take patience. It can take, um, you know, some persistence, maybe even uh, a little little dirt. Yeah, but there there's not meant to be toil with our relationship with the Lord. And what I mean by that is this this continual striving, this working, this trying to um, work for for really nothing to come up from it, for it to all just kind of wither away. And so what the Lord is inviting us into is that the work that ends up happening is a creative work, that we're creating with him, that we're building with him, and that he's the one that energizes and gives us the grace to be able to do those things. And so, yeah, should I just... And this, um, Lord, thank you so much for, for your love, that we are your beloved. I thank you for the vows that you've just made to us to love us, to be faithful to us, to fill us with everlasting joy. And Lord, I know oftentimes we feel like we don't, um, measure up or that we don't fulfill our vows. But Lord, you're right there. You're, you're right standing at the, the altar just looking at us with joy, waiting for us to come to you, waiting for us to be embraced by you, that you never leave that stance. You never leave that position of gazing with adoration towards us. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we experience your gaze, as we just see your love towards us, that we'd be able to reflect that to other people, that we'd be able to show them who you are because of the love that is reflected off of us, the love that we're wearing. And, Lord, just help us to... um, continue to go to the secret place with you, to be intimate, to know you, and let ourselves be known by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, good stuff. Speaking of marriage and uh, new life, uh, Craig, could I have you come up here just a second? Uh, Craig's wife just left the sanctuary a few minutes ago. She's dealing with some poopy, poopy diapers. Not that you guys haven't been through that before. Uh, please say hello to Craig and Danielle Hermiller after the service today. You have a new life with you today. Your new daughter's name is Hannah Joy. Hannah Joy. Can I say something? So really quickly, I just wanted to say a quick testimony. Um, so Hannah was born here in Bemidji. God told us to come here to have this baby girl. And uh, you can come up, um, Annie, real quick oh, here. Freshly cleaned. Um, doesn't smell anymore, yeah. Um, but God, God told us to come to Bemidji to have birth a baby and a vision. And just like new life comes through marriage, uh, this vision is one of closeness. It's one of intimacy. It's one of, you know, new beginnings. And I, I praise God for number three. Um, so many words over this baby girl from this family came when we first got here over a month ago. And uh, I wanted to say and to highlight Jimmy in the back. Jimmy told me uh, when we first got here about a month ago, he said, do not rush this baby's birth. She will come when she's pointed, you know, when she's supposed to. And God brought me to Galatians 4. Many of you guys have heard that. Galatians 4, 4 talks about the coming of Jesus. And 
it's this beautiful promise that at the fullness of time, God brought forth a baby boy born of a virgin. And it's this picture of, of Jesus at the, at the right time, God brought this Savior into the world, this connection, this oneness, drawing us back into unity with him, this oneness again. And so I just, it was a beautiful promise because Jimmy highlighted that to me and it came perfectly true. We waited. We did not force the coming of this baby and God gets all the glory for that. So I just want to say that. Amen. And this, this baby was, you were waiting, like the due date was two. She was um, 41 weeks and six days, I think. Um, two weeks overdue, roughly. Basically, yeah. Yeah. We were at a point of just ready for her to come. And the day we were supposed to induce, the Holy Spirit just said, no, wait. And that day when we chose to wait, it was as if everything released and we had another almost two weeks. Everything got easier because I just surrendered to the Lord and absolutely incredible God ministry life happened in those two weeks that never would have happened had we rushed and went ahead of the Lord. So it was it's neat to see his timing when I just said, OK, God. So it was really cool. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yep, you bet. Uh, join us for lunch today. Uh, keep the fellowship going. Uh, say hello to the new baby, and we got a lot of good things. Oh, uh, can I say anything over here? Is it okay to? Okay, we have. Uh, why don't you? Do you guys want to come up here real quick, Richard and Rose? We have a new sister in the Lord. Rose is. Uh, recent believer, hallelujah. Glad to be part of you, that you're a part of our family. She's getting uh, baptized today. So quick prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this church family. We thank you that as we follow you, Lord, our family is growing uh, with more people, but we're growing more mature and closing, closer to you as well, Lord. I just... Uh, Pray for uh, Rose today as she takes the next step in her faith, Lord, um, that you will meet her today, Lord, and um, just thank you for what you have in store. Lord, bless this food today. Bless each of us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.